investing in property makes sense. Investing in the right property takes knowledge. Welcome to the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. I'm Jared McCabe, Director of Wakeland Property Advisory. Join me for expert insights into the fundamentals, trends and opportunities to help you create long-term wealth through smart property decisions. Hi everyone and thanks for joining me for episode 17 of the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. So uh, given the current market demand levels at present, um, many buyers are looking for any avenue possible to uh, to gain an advantage in some form. So there's many obviously options to consider, but quite often the first thing that buyers will look to is the statement of information. Um, so I wanted to look at today as to how useful that uh, information sheet that's supplied at uh, most inspections actually is for buyers. Um, so let's start by having a look back at the history of the uh, the document. It's not exactly long. Um, the Statement of Information was introduced to uh, Victorian residential real estate on the 1st of May back in 2017. Um, and just to give you a bit of background on it, the document um, must be prepared by each agent um, on, an imp- on an approved form for each residential property that they are engaged to sell, and that's regardless of whether it is advertised for sale or not, so whether it's on or off market. Now, the statement of information must be displayed at all um, inspections, open for inspections, when they're able to be uh, conducted. Uh, It needs to be included with online advertising, and it also needs to be given to a prospective buyer within two business days of any request and updated if there is a change uh, in the indicative sale price by the agent. Now, the statement of information also must include an indicative sale price for the property. So that can be either a single price or a range of up to 10%, but can't be less than the agent's estimated selling price, uh, the seller's asking price, or a price in a written offer that has already been rejected by the seller. And it also needs to include details of three comparable sales, including their address, price, and date of sale. Uh, and also the median house price or unit for that suburb for a period of between three and 12 months, but not less than six months old. So there's a bit there, but not a huge amount of detail um, that's required. Now, why was it introduced? Well, Consumer Affairs was trying at the time to assist buyers during the purchasing process. And it's really an attempt to try and hold agents accountable um, and to try and combat underquoting to a certain degree. it certainly had the intent of trying to assist buyers, and um, prior to it being introduced, there was certainly a lot of um, ambiguity around in terms of quoting. There were many agents that would quote um, or that would list price on application. You would go and have a chat with the agent at an open for inspection or over the phone, and you would get very, very vague responses in terms of what their expectations were, um, and it could, would range quite significantly in terms of where the expectations sat. Um, Quotes were um, well over, in some circumstances, a 10% range. Um, It changed on an inspection basis, and you quite regularly saw, you might ask an agent what the quote was, and they'd say, oh, we're looking for something in excess of a million dollars. And then the the uncertainty would be, well, is that 1.1 or is that $2 million, both being in excess? So it it was very, very vague. And the the quote certainly, sorry, the the statement of information certainly started to bring that back in line. And also the fact that um, they attempted to um, make agents have to justify that quote with comparable sales being introduced as well. So let's have a look at to at, at now whether or not um, it's actually what the useful elements of the uh, the statement of information are, and certainly going to that point is that the quote price, and I think a lot of buyers do forget or perhaps 
weren't transacting real estate back prior to 2017, how vague the pricing system was or how vague agents could have been back then. Now, the counter argument to that is that at present, it's just not accurate at all. So is it really giving me a, an accurate reflection of, of what expectations are or where the price, the property might sell? But bear in mind that it, we're not always going to be in the level of buoyant market that we're in at the present time. Um, the median house price being listed as well in terms of useful information. Now, if that's something that you're looking for, you might be trying to compare how the subject property sits in the market, um, looking at other um, similar properties uh, within the suburb. So do I sit in line with the median, sub, um, median price for houses or am I above or below and how far above or below? So if you're looking for that statistic, then that's certainly helpful. We go now to the useless parts to it. And the quotes typically, although there, are not necessarily reflective of a likely result, um, particularly within the auction market in the present time. Now that goes back to some of the previous podcast discussions that we've had around the chicken or the egg around quoting and whether or not um, an increase in the, the quoting or an increased quote within a, um, a campaign could potentially, from an agent's perspective, lead to um, the, the property not selling well because buyers tend to then add certain figures above um, the quote price. And if they think that the quote price is too full, they just won't attend. And then I, the, but the buyer's response is, well, it's I'm wasting time uh, on properties that I'm not really um, a realistic chance to be able to purchase. Um, and that's, that's that, um, that chicken or egg that we've discussed in the past. But the biggest gripe that people probably have um, is actually the justification of these quotes, and that's the comparable sales that are used. And clearly, what, consti a, um, a, what constitutes a comparable sale is the biggest issue here. And um, they are very much comparable sales by nature in the sorry in the eye of the beholder. But I, I would swear that some agents must have glass eyes if they consider some of these sales to be comparable. It's it's almost laughable. We see on a very regular basis some of the the many differences that occur when you might be looking at a at a house that's in a nice quiet residential street, and lo and behold, the the three comparable sales that are listed are all on very busy main roads. Uh, or you'll be looking at a, a nicely upgraded or renovated home and all three of the comparable sales that are used are in poor condition, dated, um, and not likely to be this, a similar type of buyer. Um, you'll have a, a good sized block of land, um, perhaps on a, in a little terrace house, might be 200 square meters, and the, the comparable sales will be 120 square meters. Uh, but and one of the other unique ones that we see is you'll be um, looking at a townhouse and some of the comparable sales are for apartments. It's It can be laughable with some of what, what constitutes in some agents' mind a, um, a comparable sale. And that's where it starts to lose credibility. Um, so I think one of the key things from a, a buyer's perspective when looking at those is to bear in mind what the comparable sales are there for. They're not there to justify the end sale price. They are there to justify the quote range. So it's not there to try and say to you, well, look, these properties are, um, are going are comparable and therefore that's where it's going to sell. That was certainly the intent, but that's not what it's being used for at the moment. They're being used to justify the quote. And there's an extremely big difference between the two, the end sale price and the quote price. So bear that in mind. So in summary, as a genuine source of information to determine value, I, I do think that they are useless. Um, they need to really be remembered for what they are. And, and it really is just an attempt to have agents disclose their quote prices and to justify what those quote prices are. They really are 
they actually just reiterate that buyers must do their own research when it comes to determining value. And that, I guess, goes back to a couple of other podcasts. So in order to give you some help with that, if you go back and look at, say, podcast 13 that we've done previously around assessing value in a rising market, that will certainly help um, with far more accurate information around what the best approach would be. Um, And also, if you're concerned around the the quoting side of things, um, go back to podcast 11 and have a look at the underquoting debate, because that will certainly start to paint a bit bit more clear picture for you as well. Okay, so today's story, let's have a look at things here. Um, and look, it's probably um, a common occurrence. I could uh, could have given you dozens of uh, instances here, but certainly one earlier in the year that I uh, I looked at a property on a, as a single-fronted home, um, little house in the, the inner northern suburbs of Melbourne. It's a two-bedroom house, nice quiet street, very consistent streetscape, as you'd expect, and it was certainly in reasonable condition uh, internally, very livable at that point in time. Um, and it was on a fairly standard size block, um, which so as a property, it wasn't uncommon for the area. Certainly had its scarcity values, but um, not an uncommon type of property in terms of searching for comparable sales. So, but when I actually picked up the statement of information and had a quick look over it during the inspection, um, the, uh, the sales used were laughable. I mean, the first sale was on one of the busiest streets in that suburb, um, and the house that that house was also. Uh, extremely dated and unrenovated, fairly original internally. The second sale, the land size was about two-thirds the size of what um, the subject property that was actually for sale was. And the, the third sale backed onto a very large commercial development that at some point in time in the, the coming year or two is highly likely to be redeveloped and would have certainly put many buyers off um, that property as well. And then, so going away after that, like the property that, we, that I'd inspected, um, and went back and, and started to do some due diligence and research as to where I, what sort of sales I could find. And I found at least half a dozen, um, slightly, some of them a bit older, but and there's obviously the restrictions around timeframes that the sales need to be, but these were all well within that. Um, and they certainly justified a much higher figure than what the quote range reflected. Um, and um, and I would have found probably half a dozen, as I said, rather than just three, that which is all that's required. And so... Once you then factor in market sentiment, which wasn't as strong at that stage as it is at the moment, but it was certainly kicking along, um, yeah, it was clearly going to be well and truly above the uh, sale price. So surprise, surprise, when the um, auction did occur a couple of weeks later, the property sold well and truly above the comparable sales that were used within that statement of information. So understanding what it's what it's there for um, and what you can use it for um, is is really important rather than relying too heavily on it. So that's about it for today's episode, a shorter one. Um, Thanks for joining me for episode 17. Please feel free, as always, to share the podcast. We really like to get um, get the the likes and followings and those sorts of things up. So I'm more than happy to have uh, as many people listening as possible. Um, And if you'd like further information on how to make rewarding property decisions, please visit our website, wakeland.com.au. And as always, we wish you the best with your property decisions.